As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Well, let me begin with some familiar faces from some familiar movies. And so what I want you to do is look at the screen and I want you to identify the character, which will be well known, and then I want you to identify and shout out what movie that it's from. Got it? Are you ready? I'm not feeling like we're ready. Okay, we're ready in the house, we're ready at home. First one, this is gonna be an easy one, go ahead. Who is this? Mr. Potter, and it is from A Wonderful Life, 1946. When the movie came out, it was a dud, but people have been watching it ever since then. How about the next one, are you ready? Yes, indeed. So who knows the names of these characters? Marvin and Harry, right? Those are the two. And so where was, how about this question? Where was the house that this was located? Who knows the city? Winnetka, that's right. Is it the same house as plane, trains, and automobiles? Very good. Award goes out here. No, it is not. See all this interesting information that I know that is extremely helpful to you growing in faith. Next one is this. How about this? I know you know this one. Uh, come on, we got to go deeper than a bottomable snowman. Who knows his name? Bumble. Bumble. Yes, it is. I'm just telling you right now, this is from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and I want this off the screen because it scared me as a kid, and it's scaring me now. <laughs> all right, how about this one? We all know this. Yeah, uh, Clark Griswold, Christmas Vacation. Yes, indeed, uh, Chicago favorite right here. It was supposed to be filmed here. And then um, how about this one, a bonus one? Since these are all Christmas movies, Hans Gruber from Die Hard. And since these are all Christmas movies, I just thought I'd put that on there. All right, let me ask you this. What do all those characters have in common? Very good. Somebody just yelled at it. It was something like, they're the bad guys. And it's right. They're the villains, man. They're the enemies. They're the joy stealers of Christmas. They're the ones that do what? They, they take the happy out of holidays and the merry out of Christmas. And knowingly or unknowingly, they do some things to sabotage the holiday season. Don't want to be like that. Anybody agree with me? I, we don't. No, we don't want to be joy stealers. That's not what we want to be at all, man. We want to be joy. We want to be joy givers, not joy takers. We want to inspire joy. But unfortunately, a recent Harvard study reveals that 88% of people, Americans, they say that this is the most stressful time of the year. Additional research says that 35% of Americans, they say that this is the most financially difficult time of year. 33% say it's the most relationally straining and draining. And four out of 10, four out of 10 people would say about Christmas that 
that I am more irritable and I am more agitated and I am more frustrated. So as I look at this row, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, which four of you are ready to take us down? <laughs> but, but it's true. Statistics tell us that we're joyless when we should be joyful in this time of year. So what do we do? Well, I want to put the happy back into holidays. I want to put the merry back into Christmas. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. If you're new with us, we've been walking through the scriptures, identifying just characters in the Christmas story and testimonies of love. That's what we looked at a couple weeks ago. We looked at testimonies of hope. Today we're looking at testimonies of joy. That's the series title, A Testimony of Joy, and we're going to look at the wise men. And what I want to do today is I want to give you a formula for joy. And so what? So that we can increase our joy, so that we can be joy givers and not joy takers, so that we can do this, that our joy can be full and we can help others to experience the exact same thing. I want us to be this. I, I don't want us to be joy breakers. I want us to be joy makers. And so I want us to exceedingly rejoice this holiday season. So let's take a look at the scriptures. I'm going to read it to you. I'll start reading in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all the Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, and from all come a ruler who shepherd my people, Israel. That's from Micah. These guys knew their Bibles, chapter 5. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring, him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when the child saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures. They offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Father, use your word to speak to our hearts. I pray for each person here today. And Lord, some of us, we've come in with a heart of joy. Others of us, Lord, we're, we're disappointed. We're going through some difficulty. We're experiencing things that are stealing our joy. I pray your word would encourage us. I pray your spirit would fill us. And I pray that our joy would be full as a result of being here and listening to your word and hearing from you. If you agree with that prayer, simply say, Amen. Here's the formula. We'll put it up on the screen for the note takers. It's really simple. Simple message today. Seek plus surrender. That's the equation. 
That's the formula for joy. That's what the parentheses are. We gotta add those together and then the multiplying effect is service. Time service equals joy. That's what we see in the passage. That's what we see with these individuals. That's what many of you have experienced in your own life. That's what we wanna experience more of, joy. We'll get into it in a moment, but let's begin with each component. I wanna draw your attention. We're gonna pull it from the story. First one is seek. So that's what these guys were doing. That's what these wise men were doing. They were seeking. It says in verse one, now after Jesus was born, important to take a look at each word. It says now after, it was way after. The context tells us that was eight, 10, probably 12 months after Jesus was born. And so Jesus wasn't a child at this time. He was a, he was a, a baby, he was a toddler. You say, what do you mean? Well, if you look down at verses 9 and 11, the scripture calls Jesus a child. And so this isn't taking place in the manger. This isn't the first Christmas. The wise men didn't visit Jesus on the first Christmas. They traveled a long way. They traveled all the way from far east, it says. They came 800 to 900 miles following after him. They came from what's modern day Iran. So they weren't there at the birth. So first thing, as point of application, go home, pull the wise men out of the manger, please. <laughs> Put them someplace in the kitchen, in the basement. I mean, I got mine in the garage. I put them last year on the front porch, but Jody's like, they're getting cold. <laughs> and do your neighbor a favor, do your you know, next Christmas party you go to. I know you got a lot of parties you got left here and you gotta go, and if you see the wise men in your relative's manger, just for biblical accuracy, could you put them in the bathroom or something, please? <laughs> just pull them out. Uh, all joking aside, it's important to realize that, that these guys were seeking and they came from a far distance. And so look with me at the text. What's the first question they ask? In verse two, if you look with me, it doesn't say, hey, where's the nearest Starbucks? They didn't say, hey, hey, where's a great place to eat? They didn't even say, hey, where's the, you know, I mean, where are we gonna lay our head? Or where's a good motel to stay at? No, they traveled this far distance. And the first thing they said is, where is he who was born king of the Jews? I mean, they were seeking. They were seeking a king. Don't miss. It's very critical for us to understand that these guys, they weren't Jewish. These guys were the Gentiles. These guys were looking. These guys knew their Bibles. They were expecting the Messiah to come. They were seeking after him. But I love the detail of this story, and maybe you've been here before. Let me kind of buff it up a little and give you a little refresher. It says, for we saw his star when it rose, and we came to worship him. The star is mentioned three times in 12 verses. The star is the divine intervention that they received. I'm foolish enough or maybe gullible to believe that God could provide anything or anyone to lead you when you're seeking him. Anybody with me? He can. And for them, the star, it was, think with me, was it abnormal or normal? Well, these guys were magi. That's the Greek word that's translated for wise men. And so magi, 
in the original language, in the Greek, it gives us our word magic. So, but don't get confused. Don't think David Copperfield. These guys weren't magicians. No, they were men who studied the stars. They were first century astronomers. They were more like that scientists who studied the stars said all that to say, God used the normal to reveal the abnormal. Did you hear what I said? He used the, he used the known to reveal the unknown. God used something that they were familiar with, something that they studied, something that they saw to reveal more of himself to those who were seeking after him. Hey, a star, it could have been a star, it could be a stranger, it could be a billboard, it could be a bumper sticker. Let me say it again, God will use anyone and anything to reveal himself to those who are seeking him. The scripture says that, we will seek him and we will find him when we search for him with our whole heart. Not half a heart, not three quarters of a heart. Man, these guys were fully going after him. That's why I love these wise men. They were, God had revealed so much to them as they were seeking truth. I remember when I was um, in high school and I was taking driver's ed and, um, you know, I had the guy who was actually the teacher was a man of the cloth. Let me just say it like that. And I never thought I'd be a man of the cloth. I mean, there was no way. I was not a Christian. I didn't go up in a Christian home. And, and, and I still got friends who, from college, and they say, what are you doing again? That's another story. But in all seriousness, I'm 16 years old. I'm driving with this guy next to me. And I waited till I was the last person in the car, like, you know, because there's some other people who drove too, and so we dropped them off, and that was just me, and it was him. And I didn't even look at him, but I was like, I mustered up enough courage to just simply say, and I'll never forget, I just said, I said, what's the deal with Jesus? Because honestly, I didn't know. I mean, I had gone to church, I had seen him on the cross, I didn't fully understand, like, what the heck does it mean for me? And so... I'm waiting to hear the answer. And all I heard was this. Wah, 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 wah. Sounded like Charlie Brown's parents. You got it. Anybody remember that show? And, and I just, I, I don't know if he didn't communicate properly and maybe it wasn't as clear as it could be, but I know this for certain. I wasn't ready. I wasn't fully seeking. I didn't, I wasn't ready. I wouldn't become ready until I was 27 years old. And I was kind of in the gutter and I, I, I needed to look up. And when I did that, God provided the revelation. God provided the star. God provided the divine intervention that I needed to fully seek and surrender to him. I wonder if that's true for you if you can think back of the person or the situation or the circumstances as you were seeking him and how he was faithful to reveal himself to you. That's part of the equation for joy. Second word, it's the most important, I think. It's surrender. So we can't just seek him. We've got to surrender ourselves to him. And so look with me at verse three, because it says, when Herod heard this, he was troubled, 
and all Jerusalem with him. So he got all the chief priests and all the scribes together, and then look what he did. He summoned the wise men. They gave him the prophecy, and if you turn the page, I have to turn it in my Bible, Herod says, go and search diligently for the child, and when you find him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Interestingly, the Greek word for worship, there's two words in the New Testament that are translated worship. This one, it literally means to kiss the hand of. It's like the illustration used of what a dog does to its master. He licks his hand. That's what the word means. But don't be fooled. Herod says, go, go diligently search for the child as he's twisting his mustache. He, he didn't want to worship him. And you say, well, well, how do you know that? Well, well, look in your Bibles, please. And I hope you got a copy of God's word. And because if we look down at what Herod said, he says in verse 16 that he wanted to kill the kids. He was going to kill all the male children in Bethlehem. So he didn't really want to worship him. He was troubled. His heart was troubled. He was troubled because he was fearful he was going to lose control. He was troubled because he thought there was another one coming for his throne. This isn't the first time that this Herod killed some innocent people. This is the first of many Herods that's mentioned in the New Testament. And he used to say this of himself. He asked people to call him Herod the Great. Extremely humble guy. That's what he wanted. But he not only killed his brother, he drowned his brother. He not only killed his mother-in-law, he killed his wife, and he killed his two sons. This guy was a ruthless killer. I mean, he wasn't following after God. And so let me give you an illustration to help you understand how we may have more in common with him than we think, and, and this will be helpful to understand his heart and our own hearts at times. So let me put it up. I call this the joyless, non-surrendered life. And so the joyless, non-surrendered life, it's what it says. I, I, I don't have any joy. Why? Because I haven't surrendered. I'm not doing that part of the equation and so you can see the throne here in the circle. And on the throne of your life is you. On the throne is self. This is the person that puts themselves on the throne and wants to control everything. This is the person that is in control of their own life so much so that they're gripping tightly the steering wheel. And notice, outside of the circle of influence, Jesus is. I can remember when this was true of me. I wonder if you can remember if it was true of you. But Jesus isn't even in the sphere of influence. Hey, what's the deal with Jesus? He wasn't in my orbit or my world. This is Herod. And so this is a picture of Herod. He, he was on the throne. And Jesus was outside the circle of influence. Second picture is this. I call it the joyful, surrendered life. Hey, this is the good one, man. 
Let me give you a hint at what? That Jesus is not only in the circle, but Jesus is on the throne. And self, this is where the person has surrendered themselves, and they are, they are kneeling at Jesus' feet. That is the joyful, surrendered life. That is the picture of these wise men. In the scriptures, it says they were exceeding with great joy. Why? That's it. Because they were worshiping the true king. And so joy, it's very different from happiness. We've taught on this before, but let me do a little review. Happiness comes from the word hap, which means happenstance. That's what we get our English word. So it's based on luck. It's based on chance. Happiness is based on the circumstances where joy is independent of circumstances. Joy doesn't depend on what's happening to me. Joy depends on what's happening in me. Oh, I'm not sure you heard me. Joy is what's happening inside of me. We've used this definition before. Joy is a supernatural delight in the person of God, in the people of God, and in the purposes of God. That's joy. That's why the Apostle Paul can be in jail and still experience a joy. That's why somebody going through a difficult relationship and they have been hurt, they can still experience joy. This is the wise man. And so they're a picture of joyful surrender. But there's a third. I'm not sure if you caught it. You might think, is that it? No, this one is what I call, you're going to love this. This is the joy kill partially surrendered life. So this is when you kill your own joy. Like, like you put it to death. Like, like you got tastes of it at times, but, but this is where you are on the throne. But notice carefully from the first drawing, Jesus is inside the circle of influence. Man, you go back and forth. When I was a kid, I used to, my mom used to give me these plates, and I don't know, maybe you give them to your kids, and they had the little dividers in them. Anybody with me? And so you'd had the peas, you had the, um, the uh, uh, mashed potatoes and the gravy. It didn't leak over to the peas. And then you had the meatloaf or whatever you had. And it was all separated. I liked it like that. <laughs> I still like it like that. Jody gives me a plate with that, with the separate. I'm kidding, but I don't like my food to touch. And don't tell me after the service it all goes to the same place. I don't care. I, I like to keep it separate. Some of us like to keep our lives separate. And so our job and our finances and our relationships and our passions, and, and they don't really bleed. And so Jesus can be in control of one area or you surrender and submit to him in only one area, but not in the whole. That's the picture of the joy kill, partially surrendered life. You say, well, where's the biblical reference? Man, I could think of a lot of them. It's throughout the entirety of Scripture. I mean, from Jonah all the way to Peter. I mean, there was times when Jesus was on the throne, and there was times where Jesus wasn't. So, so which is it? Like, I've been careful to tread. Maybe you're not experiencing joy. 
Could I suggest to you that you might be, you might be hurting yourself? I've heard it said that God can do more with my surrender than I can do with my control. See, sometimes we just, we want to just grab hold. So are you experiencing, let's go back to the good one, are you experiencing the joyful, joyful, surrendered life? This is the one where Jesus is on the throne. That's what these guys were doing. Pretty simple message, right? Pretty difficult to do. I, I want to experience more joy. Can I confess that I can be the joy kill in my own family? It's just, it's just hard for me to believe that, that I can take the things down so quickly with the word, so quickly with a look, so quickly with a reaction, that, that, that we want more joy, that delight in him. How do we get it? Well, I'm giving you an equation. I see it in the text. And so we got to add together seeking him and surrendering. And I believe with all my heart, if you seek and surrender, seek and surrender. Isn't the Christian life defined as seek and surrender? That's what it is. And so you got to surrender that part that you're grabbing hold of. And for some of us, it's the finances. For others of us, it's a relationship that we know is not good for us. For others of us, it's the unforgiveness that we're clenching. Whatever it is. It's prohibiting you from experiencing joy. And then this is it. Hey, the generation behind us, or excuse me, in front of us, the generation in front of us got this, man. I'm telling you, service, 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 service. Then the next generation, worship, 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 worship. Like service has gotten forgotten. And service brings joy. It brings great joy. Serving the king. And so that's the last part of the equation. I think it might be the multiplier. I think the generation ahead of us might have had something right. I think as they seeked and surrendered and served, that God just put a smile on their face, and they experienced joy. And so that's what I see these wise men doing. And you say, well, what do you mean? They're just, where, where do you see that? I mean, they're giving the gifts. They're worshiping. Yeah, they went into the house, it says. Another indicator, it doesn't say in verse 11, they went into the manger. They went into the house. They saw the child, Jesus himself. They fell down and worshiped him. They kissed the ring, so to speak. And then they gave him these gifts. And I believe those gifts was a service to you and me because we're still talking about them. And they were a service to Jesus because they gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And deep within the meaning of those gifts, and please, let's do a little cleanup. It says three gifts. Doesn't say three wise men, right? So you can add, I don't know, some kind of power ranger or something to the scene. You can just bring in a couple, because I think these guys were cheap. I think they went on in and on together, you know what I mean? And gold, hey, let's go in. Why would I say that? Well, because they were wise. <laughs> Thought I'd get a little more than that. But in all seriousness, they were wise, and they gave gifts that still speak and serve us because they help us understand the reality of what happened that day. 
and what would continue for the next 2,000 years and beyond. That gold, it was a symbol. It was used in the temple. And so gold is a symbol of royalty. It's what you built the temple with. It's what the king had. And, and so that shows us that kingship of Jesus, that Jesus was king of kings. And then secondly, they gave him frankincense, and that was a very expensive, costly perfume. And it was used in, in such a way for the sacrificial system. And so that signifies to us the deity of Christ. And so that he's not only king of kings, the royalty, but he's lord of lords. And then the gift that keeps on giving, I mean, they gave him myrrh. And so that had to throw Joseph and Mary for a loop as Jesus is running around as a toddler. Like, what do we need? Why would you be a downer here? Well, that was used for the burial of bodies. And so that was the reminder of what was happening. That was the symbol of the suffering that Jesus would go through. And that was the symbol, the fact that he is the Lamb of God. Hey, when I was 16 years old, when I was 17 years old, when I was 25 years old, I didn't know about the Lamb of God. I heard it, but I didn't understand it because I didn't seek and I didn't surrender. And so the Lamb of God is all about the sacrifice that we rejoice in, that gives us great joy, that Jesus paid the price, the price that we could not. That's what they gave him. This past week, we lost a member of our church, and I'm just, uh, Mark Goodman has been coming to our church since we've been in the high school. And Mark and Pepsi, um, I remember the first time that I met him, and um, her name is Pepsi. She goes, I'll see her at the Wheaton location as soon as I leave here. Some of you know I go preach there. They used to sit right in the back over here. And, and um, I'll never forget, Mark was kind of had some corny jokes, and First time I met him he, at the high school, he said, well, here's my wife, Pepsi. And then he said, and my name's Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and then he goes, well, she's got, and, and her name is Priscilla, but they call her Pepsi because she's got all the, um, all the uh, yeah, all the pep. And so, so that's what they called her. And so, so Mark and, and her, they, like Mark was just an encourager to me. He was a bit like a Barnabas. He died suddenly a week and a half ago of a heart attack. And just, it took his life. And the reason I'm telling this story is because Mark was a picture of joy. Like every time I saw him, he was actually a Jewish believer. And so he was a Messianic Jew. And so what that means is he had, you know, the Jewish heritage. He was from a Jewish family. I used to joke with him all the time in the hallways here. I'd say, I'd say man, you're the chosen one. I'm just grafted in. Like, you're the real deal. And he would laugh. And, but he epitomized this equation. And so if I can tell you his story really quickly as the worship team comes up, Mark's story was a unique one. And that he was seeking Jesus. And he was seeking him in the midst of life-altering circumstances. He was on drugs. He was in his late 20s. I didn't know any of this about him until he shared it with me on several occasions. And, and so he was using drugs, he was selling drugs, but there was something, he was seeking God. He, he felt an emptiness. 
he wasn't experiencing joy. And so if you can believe this, he starts watching a TV evangelist. And so the guy, for those in the room that can remember this, it was Dr. Robert Schuler. Anybody remember that name? And the Crystal Cathedral. And so Mark literally is high watching this. Cover the kid's ears. And, and he's seeking God. And at 26, 27, same age as me, when I was that age, I, I surrendered. He surrendered right there. I'm the TV evangelist. So isn't it true that God can use anyone at any time as a divine intervention to speak his truth? And, and I'm just telling you, like, you know, fast forward, um, that funeral that we had on Monday over, or excuse me, Tuesday over at Wheaton, um, his two sons, I, I was so impressed with the gospel presentation that they gave to everyone, with, with, with just the way they honored their dad. And, and I thought of the scripture, and I thought, man, if Mark was here right now, he knew his Bible, and it says in 3 John that there's nothing that brings a father greater joy than to have his children walking in truth. And so Mark served by being evangelist. Like, you couldn't get away from this guy without telling, he'd tell you about Jesus. Like, every relationship, every time, he would talk about the Messiah, Jesus, the Lord. And he experienced great joy. And I'm here to tell you that although it was too early, Mark is in the presence of the Holy One. Mark is in the presence of his King. And he was a picture of the formula that I'm presenting to you. And so I'm asking that you could be and need to be a picture of that formula, not only this week, not only this month, but for all of 2024 and the years to come, that you could experience joy. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, and as you do, please bow your heads as the worship team begins to play. Let me just ask you this question. I, I, as we learn together about what joy is, that supernatural delight, I believe in my heart with heads bowed and eyes closed, I believe this, that there's only two kinds of people in this room. I believe there's only two kinds of people watching online. And those are people who have experienced this joy and have a desire to experience it more and those that haven't. Just let me cut the dice really clean. Like some have experienced it. And you know, maybe you're going through a trial right now and you want more, but you can turn to a point in your life where you sought the Lord and you surrendered to the Lord and he was on the throne. And you want some joy. But there's some within the sound of my voice, and you have never experienced the joy that I'm talking about. You have experienced happiness. And I'm not saying happiness is not a bad thing, but it can't deliver you to heaven. It can't get you right with God. And joy is a result of what that is. So if you have received that joy and you desire more, I'm going to pray for you in a moment but I'm going to ask that you would begin to pray for those that may not have ever experienced the joy that we're talking about today because they can make a decision just like Mark did. 
in front of that TV evangelist. And they can make a decision to surrender to him. And maybe, just maybe, maybe there's something you're holding on to that you need to surrender to so that you can experience the fullness of the joy, so that you can be like the wise men and have exceedingly great, abundant joy. Let's pray together. Father, each of us in this moment, we look to you. And for some of us, Lord, we need to surrender everything in this moment. And we've been holding on to some things that we know we ought not to. And we're asking, Lord, we're believing that Jesus is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. We're believing today, maybe for the very first time, that he went to the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. We're admitting that we have sinned against you. And that is inhibiting our joy. And we recognize, maybe for the first time today, that that sacrifice that 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 man made, that Jesus, after growing up from being a baby to a man and dying a death he didn't deserve, that that sacrifice paid for the penalty of our sin. And so we surrender to you. And so for many including myself, Lord, I just pray even in this moment that the Holy Spirit would help me identify the thing that I need to surrender right now that's prohibiting me from experiencing joy. And so, Lord, we give it to you. We give these things to you. We look to you because we want to be a testimony of truth. We want to be a testimony of joy. We want to be a testimony for who you are and what you've done. If you agree with that prayer... Simply say, amen. amen. I believe that the Lord, let's praise him, is welcoming people into heaven. I believe that the Lord desires us to experience joy. I believe that you are the testimony. Let's sing about our Savior as we are his testimony on earth.